This episode is brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation. Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. For everything you need to know about Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org, secondmissionfoundation.org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast, the Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. When you go to Havoc Journal, you will read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal is always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. Check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, journal.com, HavocJournal.com. My guest today was the one and only Neville Johnson. Neville has been interviewed by me three times, which is the most I've ever interviewed anyone in my relatively short-lived podcasting career. Um, It must be because he's in New Zealand and I'm in upstate New York. So clearly our geographical closeness is the reason we end up talking so much. Um, there are reasons why I keep talking to Nev, um, and a lot of it is just because of who he is. It, it's He's had a fascinating life. He comes from an inherently fascinating country, South Africa. Um, he emigrated to the UK. He joined the British military. He served in Iraq and Afghanistan um, and then became a military contractor in Iraq after his military career. Um and then has and now has, I guess you could say, retired, relocated, whatever, to New Zealand, where he now works and writes. So he's kind of made a trip across um, the English-speaking world with some significant detours in the non-English-speaking world. So that's just an interesting trajectory. And there were, um, you know, initially I talked to him as a veteran artist. Then I really wanted to talk to him um, about his growing up in South Africa and about South Africa's, um, you know, what it was like to live there. His father was a policeman in South Africa during apartheid, which is inherently interesting. And he, his father was intimately involved in the border wars, um, which I think is an incredibly fascinating time for anybody that knows anything about military history or about African history. So, um, so Nev has been privy to an awful lot of very interesting rich, under, what's the right word? Underreported, undercovered, undermined. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> Just uh, stories that have not been told a whole lot. You know, it's, it's, it's not World War II. It's not something that's been mined a lot and that we've heard a lot of stories about. Um, he's, he's been privy to subjects that most people, even in the military community, haven't thought of or don't know a lot about. And that's just inherently interesting. However, 
this interview was predicated on Nev finally having his book published. His book is called Sangin, Then and Now, and unsurprisingly, it's about his time in Sangin. Um, Nev had two combat deployments in his military career. In this, I think he was in for seven years uh, in the British infantry. And his deployment in Iraq was relatively uneventful. And then he went to Afghanistan and ended up in Sangin, which was very eventful. And, um, you know, changed his life, changed his outlook, um, changed, you know, I think you could argue made him the artist and the writer he is today. Um, and so obviously it was worthy of a book. And Dead Reckoning Collective put it out as they are wont to do. And it, it's a fascinating book. It's interesting with each of the of the writers that Dead Reckoning has, has published. Um, what I really uh, commend Keith and Tyler at Dead Reckoning for is that um, the variety in their in their writers, there really is no two of these books that are at all alike. Even though they all, not all, many of them deal with war and the second and third order effects of war, um, they are wildly different takes on different aspects of war, which is which they should be because it's definitely not a one size fits all experience. Um, Nev's selections that are in Sangin, in the book, I should say. Um, read very much like they were originally written, which is as journal entries. Some of them are incredibly short. Some of them are two lines. Uh, it's important to bear in mind a lot of these were are taken from what he was writing at the time while he was being shelled at nights when it would get quiet. Um, you know, so it was, you're, you're getting, you know, a real mainline into where his head was during you know, the most traumatic moments of his life. And there's a real intimacy in that. And when you hear Nev talk about, as he will in this interview, about, you know, kind of his neuroses about sharing some of this with people, um, I think that's why. I think it's, it's he's exposing a lot of raw, open nerve endings to the world. Um, you will hear me mention in the episode something uh, that Nev had told me on a previous interview that he wrote a lot of these initial first feeble footsteps of poems in Afrikaans, in his native Afrikaans, because he didn't want his mates to read any of it. And he didn't want it to be, if it was found or anything like that, he didn't want people to know what it was he was writing. So that was kind of his own little code language. So um, so we talked about how many of these had to be translated from Afrikaans and, and what that looked like. And I'll leave you to hear about that during the interview. Uh, but that's uh, one of the things I mentioned. Uh, as I say, with Nev, there's so much to cover. I'm glad this was my third bite at the apple because uh, I feel like it gave me the backstory I needed to fully uh, capture a little bit more of what he's put down in writing here. Um, you should buy the book. If you haven't bought it already, you should buy it. It's a great addition to your library. It is some of the most pure writing I think you can get about... Um, not just a combat deployment, but combat itself. And uh, 
I'm trying, I'm hedging my words right now because I don't want to reveal too much of what we talk about in the interview. So maybe I'll just leave it there, but buy the book, you'll be happy. You did. Um, whether or not you've been in a combat zone, whether or not you've been, uh, in combat, um, it's a very worthwhile addition to your library. It is something that, um, I think gives people that have not been in combat an, an eye, a feel, a sense of what that's like. And those that have been, I think it will bring echoes of familiarity and relatability. And, um, and certainly the book goes on past, as, as the title says, it's saying in then and now. And um, the narrative is very loose. There, are, there is a, a, a chronology that Nev put in the book. But it's very loose, um, but it does take you out of Sangin and back home. And you get to see kind of how Nev is starting to process the war by the end of the book. As with, you know, a lot of these poets that we, we talk to, um, I'm excited to see what they do next. Because I feel like this needed to come out of Nev. This, the, he needed to clear the carbon out of the barrel. And that's this. That's Sangin. And he's told that, and he's told it in a way that will endure. And now it'll be interesting to see what follows. And we talk with him about that as well. So without any further ado, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Neville Johnson's profile again in Havoc. Good to see you, Nev. Good to be back. Man, I feel like uh, we're in a good rhythm. We're on like the once a year schedule. You're actually on. I think you've been, I think I've interviewed more than anybody else at this point. What do you think about really? that? It, it must be because we're so close geographically. We are. It feels <laughs> like I'm right in the next, in the next room. <laughs> in the same time zone. Seriously, that's, that's gotta be what it is. You know, it's that, it's that uh, upstate New York, New Zealand connection that you just can't, uh, there's no way we weren't going to exploit that. Dude, um, this is exciting, man. How does it feel to have the book out now? Unreal. It feels really? unreal, surreal. It's it's a almost like a dream come true. Um, within a in a nightmare, in a dream, it's it's unreal. The fact that it was it, it was something that that was just written on a piece of paper, thoughts and memories, and now it's in the bloody book and it's out there. You know, it's off my shoulders. It's it's released. It's gone. It's it's out there for the world now. It, it doesn't belong to me anymore. It's 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 gone. Is it off your shoulders? Do you think you'll write about this again? Is there more to say about Sangin and about Afghanistan and about your service? I think that there's always something more to be said. I think that there's always more to offload. Um, whether it's going to be in the form of poetry, a novel, a memoir, um, I'm not sure. Do you think the poetry? Um, it kind of like cleans the carbon out and now you maybe have better visibility on a bigger story, a more comprehensive story to tell. You said, mentioned a novel and all that. Do you think there's, that if there is more to come, it would take a, um, another form and go, uh, kind of deeper in the narrative and, and spell things out more, whether or not it's autobiographical, but do you think that kind of like you needed to get the poetry out, you needed to get the um the immediate thoughts the immediate feelings and find some words for them and start to be able to form your mind around some of those ideas i'm totally projecting but does any of that ring true 
Oh yeah, it does. It does. It was a door that I had to open. It's it, it was a path I had to go down to. Um, it was it was going to happen anyway, and and um, it was just it was something that I had to do. It was it was a a door that I had to go through, uh, a journey that I had to go in and, and walk. Um, but I know there's more to uh, that I want to write more that I want to put on paper. In, in in which form, I'm not sure yet. So, and I guess what I'm getting at is, yeah, that idea that writing poetry is a great way to tee up other forms of writing, I feel like, because it's like, hey, I've had to write the songs. Now, can I write the movie? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's yeah. there, there's just that sense that's kind of primed the pump for more stuff to come. Um, I'll tell you, quite frankly, um, I feel like there is a lot more to come. Um, I'll tell you my first takeaway with the book. It's it for my it just as a completely impartial reader, reading it through, I was like, "There's something about a father-son dynamic in this mm. book that's unmistakable to me." And it's feathered in, and I'm I'll I'll read you back to you if you're cool with it. That doesn't weird yeah. you out, um, but I mean, you start off, um, and by start off, I mean the first time I picked up on it was in 1978. Your poem, 1978. We showed an old weathered photograph taken in 78. Not long after my birth date, my dear mom gave it to me. This one, you see, is one of a kind, taken in 78 in a place hard to find. Grateful my mom gave it to me. The photograph, discolored and stained, time is deeply ingrained. His memories of that day still remain. And I should say, this is wedged in after, wedged into whatever it was, 10, 12 poems about Helmand and about Afghanistan before and then a whole bunch of poems after so it's this kind of um outlier poem that you wedge in there and i was like oh yeah okay there's there's a there's an echo here and then with some other poems that we can maybe can get to later you start to to you know address what your father meant and then at the end what your son meant and and kind of some interactions you'd had with him was that conscious? Am I reading too much into this? Um, I don't know. H- how much of that uh, did you want to leak out or did you think was coming through or did you want, um, yeah, did you did you want to be part of the book? Yeah, that was part on it. Yeah, there was, it was a big influence in in writing the book. My my dad, my son, war. Yeah, you've, you've got it spot on. This um, The fact that, there was such a big influence in getting those words up, but I was very reluctant in spilling it on, on, on paper and letting the world know. And, but it was it was something that I had to do. It was bound to happen. I, there, there wasn't any way that I could keep it bottled up because it was just doing too much damage. And getting out on paper was, I think, shutting a door on on a past memory that I I dealt with. I've I've looked at it and I don't have to go back to the memory again, to the experience again. It's it's I've dealt with it. I'm moving on. Um and dealing with it, um it was there was closure, you know, and uh, but but that particular one is is basically uh to do with the, the influence that my dad had on me and, and the reasons for 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 joining and um the fact that I yeah, I dealt with certain um memories from from the past we've talked before when you've been on when we 
you know, I, you know, my fascination with South Africa and with um, the years your dad was a, a policeman, but you talk um, here in your poem, My Road. I'm going to read it back to you again because I think it's going to say what I want to say better than I will. Um, the road I wanted to walk as a child, the path I dreamt of exploring since 1978, the road I longed for, the road not traveled, the road that my love and passion called for, the road I stumbled on as a child that made me a man, the road that lost me, the road that found me, the road I followed to war, the road I explored alone that I left my footprints on, the road that broke me, healed me, scarred my soul, the road that gave me courage, hope, and love. The road I followed you on. To me, that almost is the most powerful theme of the book. Because I feel like that almost ties so much together. There's so much. Um, I mean, it, in a sense, you're destined for war. You were going to search one out. Do you think? Yeah, totally. I knew that's what I wanted as a, as a child, you know, looking up to my dad when he went to the border war. The, the South African World War when he went and disappeared and I, I, I knew there was there was a, a duty that I, I had to go in and follow it was it, it was a sense of purpose I knew it, it was going to happen and when and how I wasn't sure but it was it was something that I, I was ready uh, it was it was a path I was ready to walk down and um and explore I know when we talked before um you know, I was curious about how much you talked to your dad about your experiences since. And if there was that sense of two warriors now kind of being able to have some degree of understanding, some degree of um, shared experience. Has that happened? Mm, not quite, no. You would thought so, but I think there's there's more of a mutual understanding now. The fact that we can sit there, and and we know, but it's 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 not what I thought it it, it would be. It's it's, um, you know, many years ago I I wanted answers, I wanted the conversations, um, and I was kind of like forcing it. But nowadays it's it's different. Um, it's it's a mutual respect for each other. The fact that it, it was it wasn't just my dad; it was my mom as well, and the family members that served. Um, that's been in, in uniform, um, but it's somewhat different nowadays because, like you know, um, not many veterans would actually sit down and talk about it, talk about the experiences. And for me, writing this this book, that was my way of expressing. Uh, memories expressing experiences you know the fact that you know it, it it was my experience my perception of war of going to the saying and the before during and after so that's my way of of dealing with what i went through um the the relationship i had with with my dad back then um things i longed for things i wanted so that was my way of just getting out on, on, on paper dealing with things has he read the book no, some of the poems he's seen. Um, same with my my mom. They they've seen some of it, but but they haven't actually read the whole book. Now, would you want him to, or does uh, it matter? Um, that's a good question. Part of me would say no, and mm. no, 
another part would definitely say, yes, read it. I want you to see this. I want my mom to see this. I want my sister to, to see this. And, but then again, it's, it's off my shoulders now, so to speak. So um, everyone will, will, will read it and will have their own idea of the words, you know, of, and they will have, a, they'll have a picture in their mind of what it looks like, what it, what they think it is. Have you had conversations with your son about this, or does this book do a lot of talking for you, or will it do a lot of talking for you in the future? If he, I hope it, it does. I hope it, it tells a, a big story. I haven't spoken with Tim because he's just too young. Okay. Um, my daughter knows. She's proud of me. She's she herself is a big reader. Um, she likes reading um, books. I mean, and uh, writing short stories. She's still very young, and and she kind of understands and, and she knows more. Um, but when that day comes and he's a bit older, then I can sit down with him and explain to him the journey. But hopefully, this this book can then tell that story, can tell my story, can can explain um, it to them, and then. Because that, that that desire is still there to to write more. That desire is still there to explain more and put more on paper. Um, but I hope it explains somewhat. It tells a little bit. Um, you know, when I'm long gone, it's there for them to re- to read. It's there that they can start. Maybe maybe it will explain something. You know that I couldn't. Your poem in which you mentioned Aiden is um i think a lot of veterans that are dads can relate to it um i'm gonna read it just because i like reading your poetry out loud (laughs) um but the poem is called aiden i remember that it hurt you more i remember that you needed me more than before i failed you in a time of need i failed you as a father you deserve better not a stranger my son be better my son be more Um, yeah, that's a, that's a fucking, that's a good one. I think there's a lot of, a lot of people can relate to that. I mean, obviously you wrote this with an eye of him reading it at some point in the future, right? Yes. It was a time where he needed me, not the person that was dealing with issues, not the person that there was drinking or swearing. Uh, he, he just needs, he, he, he just wanted his dad to take him to the park to um, help him with his homework. But that person just couldn't at the time. Um, that person, I think it was lost dealing with issues from the past um, and just couldn't, just wasn't there. There was a big, just a shell. Um, and it broke me. It still do, you know, to this day that um, I just couldn't for whatever reason. Um, I just couldn't. And then, Writing this book, I think, helped a lot. Like I think I mentioned a few times before, it helped when I thought nothing else could. It was a, it was a way to to deal with things, to to guide me and and help me. But yeah, that was specifically for him because it was a time where he just wanted his dad. You know, um, he's still young, um, and he just wanted to for me to be there in the moment, and I couldn't. Um, it was a struggle, and still to this day, it's, it's a struggle to get over that. The fact that it's going to stay with him years later, he'll remember, you know, those moments that 
it was just a shadow sitting there, you know, and, there, and he, he really wanted his dad, but for whatever reason, I just, I just couldn't be there for him. Do you think that's, those are transient moments though? Do you think those are outweighed? I mean, cause when I look at you and when we've talked before, you are to put it in very 2023 verbiage. I mean, you are a lot more self-actualized and self-aware than you were before. Probably we all are, but certainly you've, you've really done a lot of work on yourself mm -hmm. in that way. I have to believe that those compound and outweigh the aberrations, the moments where you weren't. And that if he has a memory of it, it's vastly overweighed by the good and by what you've learned. Don't you feel that way? Yeah. Yeah. It was a journey that I had to take. It was a journey I knew that I I had to deal with. I always knew it was going to be something that that was um, it was on my path. It wasn't something that I thought, no, I'm not going to, it's not going to happen to me. I knew that was going to happen to me. I knew that I had to deal with it at one stage or another, but I had no idea it was going to be at a time where I've got three kids, I've got a house, I've got a mortgage, I've got mm -hmm. work, mm -hmm. and then everything happens at the same time, you know. Um, it was a big struggle, still is. Um, but I knew that I had to deal with it, and it was just unfortunate. It was at a time where everything um, happened at once. I'm going somewhere with this and I hope I remember enough to get there. <laughs> but I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like every dad, no matter whether they were a veteran or not, is going to have their stresses. Life is going to interrupt. There's going to be times that are harsher with their children than they wanted to be. I wonder, and I'm putting it out to you to see what you think, but I wonder if the experiences you went through with whatever problems that they caused and whatever second and third order effects they had on your son in interrupt interactions you had with them. I wonder if that is I'm trying to think of a better word than better, but if it's, if that's better, healthier, nobler than someone who hadn't walked down a warrior path, someone who hadn't made those choices, who hadn't, because for better or for worse, you, you were, dealing with shadows of your own father and the memories and the echoes of the past. And you chased down a dream and you got your answer, good, bad, or ugly. You got your answers. And I feel like even when we deal with the nightmares of it, there's something more fulfilling, even in dealing with that trauma than to never have walked it and to, and to have avoided it or <coughs> shirked or made other choices. And I guess I'm making an opinion out of here more than a question, but I don't know, disagree or agree. I mean, how does that strike you? Because um, I feel like regardless, stipulating that any father is going to have moments that he's going to rub his son the wrong way or do something a little too harsh. Your harshness came from you climbed a mountain and you did it. And many people don't. And I think there's something inherently noble in that. And yes, it doesn't come with no cost and it doesn't come with no, you know, bad juju associated with it. But of all the bad jujus to get, at least you climbed that mountain and there's something I think fulfilling and something a son can look up to. That's my personal take, but I mean, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. Does that strike you as accurate or do you see it differently? Yeah, it's a, it was a journey I, I chose at the time. Um, 
like I said, I wanted to follow my dad's footsteps. I really wanted to be there with him next to him. He was the one I looked up to. My mom was another person I looked up to. They, I wanted to be like them. It was a path I felt it was right for me. I, it, it was for me. I knew that I was going to walk on that path. I'm up. And I did. And it was a, it was a phenomenal experience. And I'm grateful to be here because there were so many moments that I thought I won't be here. They were, I mean, I've, I've experienced so many things that it changed me. You know, I went through different characters, you know, um, and I'm here now. Um, but yeah, to be able to, to get through the climate and to get to the other side, it was a, a phenomenal experience. And to be here to, to then be able to put that on paper for my son, for my daughters to, to read as, as something that, that I just had to do, you know, the, uh, the the start of the book. I mean, the second you get to sang and and your poems are all very, you know, gut punchy. I mean, it's all just, you know, Hey, the, the symphony of war, this, you know, this nonstop cacophony of, of noise and war and, and, um, yeah, what that's doing to you emotionally. But then when you have a moment to reflect, it seems like you go, boy, you know, I, um, I think it was, when you're, I forget what you called it, the homecoming section or something, but suddenly you're like, yeah, I miss that. And I miss the guys. I miss the lads and I miss chatting and I miss doing all this. And that to me is the nuance that I think so many people that didn't serve miss is that they, they go, oh yeah, the horror of war. Got it. War is hell. I'm going through that. I feel for you. I want to empathize with you. They don't understand the the attraction, the longing, what you miss. The fact that you gave voice to that, I think, is important. And I guess where I was trying to go with that, with, with talking about your son and all, is that I think of all the angers and of all the frustrations that a father can bring home with him at the end of every day, I think there's a, a different kind of frustration and a different and a lesser frustration maybe when the father has pushed himself to his limits and survived and come back. And then yes, there's trauma, there's things to work through and all that, but I feel like that's less than if you hadn't walked the path in the first place. Does that kind of make sense? Or do you agree? Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a, a total different experience. I mean, I would never wish for him to go you know um if he wants to go and join it would be his choice but i just wish that he would that he won't experience war um it was a it was a path um yeah um yeah totally let's talk about that for a sec um because certainly um well let me just ask why (laughs) it sounds stupid to ask but why don't you want him to experience war and i say that because i know i'm talking to somebody who kind of had war in his, you know, in his aperture from an early age because of your father. So as someone who kind of sought out war for yourself, what about, what about it? Do you not want him to experience? Why do you want him? Why would you want him to miss that experience? It's the sheer horror of war, the reality of it. The fact that you can't respawn, it's not a game. It's not something that you go and play and you can 
select a new player, it's the reality is the sheer horror, the fear that you feel, um, the fact that you're always alert, always uh, that fear pumping through the system. It's it's hard to explain. Um, the fact there's always death is always lurking around the corner. Death is always knocking at your door, um, raining down in the form of mortar rounds, bullets, sniper rounds, um, RPG rounds. It's always there, the constant fear pumping through the veins, um, always alert. That is will always stay with me. It's the constant alertness, the constant fear pumping and, and keeping you awake. Um, the adrenaline is always pumping, you know. Um, it's a horrible feeling. Yeah, it is. Do you think you're a better person for having gone through it, a worse person, or is it irrelevant? Mm-hmm. It's definitely a different character. It's definitely, I was a different person. It, 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 it obviously shaped me. It, I'm grateful to be here. But um, you grow from, from that, from the experience, and then I can guide him through it if he, if he wants to do one day, but hopefully not. But yeah, it definitely it shaped me as a as a human, as a as a father and a brother. Um, that's for sure. Do you regret it? No, 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 no. That that no, no, I don't. Um, that was the highlight of my military career. That was the highlight of that character, um, of that person. You know, it's it, it's the same name, but it was a different person back then. I'm a different person now. I've I've grown. I'm a, I'm 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 a father. I'm I'm different. Um, I, no, I don't regret it. Definitely not. I I knew it was a path that I wanted to walk. That I knew that I will be walking. I will experience that that journey. Um, it was meant to be. I, I believe. Um, I wanted that. I wanted to to be there. Maybe not so much the first time when I went to Iraq, you know, when I volunteered to go there, when I when I got there the first day, and I thought, well, this is shit, I want, I want to be here, you know. But um, singing was different. It had a different tune to it. It had a, a different feel to it. And no, I, I won't regret it, no. No, it's, it's something I long for, something uh, it was meant to be, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, I want to ask you about one of the other big themes I saw of the book, which was the sound. Yeah, poems yeah. are are driven by sound. So I let me tell you what was going through my head when I when I read it, and tell me how accurate I am with this. Is it because often <laughs> you were you were sheltering, you were going to, you know, you were crouched by the wall. So you couldn't really see what was going on. So all you have to go on is the sound. Is that kind yeah. of why so much is driven by exactly. sound? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Spot yeah. on, man. Spot on, yeah. Um, then let me ask about the sound in contradistinction to the other thing that I thought was missing the whole time, which was interesting to me, was there were no, um, very few mentions of your teammates, very few mentions of others out there except for in remembrance. Then afterwards you're like, yeah, I miss the lads, miss joking with Mm. them and all that. And at that point I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. We didn't even hear about them. (laughs) And I'm, and I, I'll throw out my theory and you can tell me if I'm, if I'm right or wrong about this, is this because a lot of your writing was dealing with the fear? It wasn't trying to immortalize the moment and go, Hey, let me paint a picture for you about 
this guy and that guy and what was going on here. You were literally just, it was a coping mechanism and you were trying to deal with the fear moment to moment. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah. It was, it was during the times that I could sit down and write. It was just dealing with the fear, the fact that I've never felt this before. Yes. Um, previous two years, uh, we had the opportunity to, you know, to close in with the enemy and, but nothing like, like saying and saying was, yeah, just dealing with the fear, the fact that it was different, you know, the first night, but then we got there, um, um, the sound was overwhelming. It was sensory overload. But yeah, for me, it was that moment to, like, I need to, I need to somehow deal with this. How do I deal with this? You know, put it on, on, on paper. Initially, it evolved from just putting down details of the amount of times we got um, in, well, attacked to the point where everything I felt was on paper. But then it was done alone because I, I wouldn't want to share it, you know, yeah. with, with the other lads. It's, it's not something that it, it was, talked about you know it's not something that i would want to go and say holly you know i've, I've written something about the nice sunset you know it's like you know, don't be stupid man that's that's just dumb you know it's not something that we we spoke about or shared right. you know right we're eating at russia but so it was that constant fear and dealing with that shit and how many of these poems were written originally in afrikaans a couple it's a few um because the whole journal that I kept, yeah, it was in, in Afrikaans that I that I kept track of the the attacks, how I felt, and everything else. And and there was a few, but then then it evolved into a journal, just tracking down, writing down feelings. But there's there was a few that there was in in Afrikaans about the sunset, the, the, just the peace in in hell. Um, those those moments that the, the sunrise sunset. Um, the, those moments just before they attacked us, you could sense it. You knew we all knew it was it was imminent. It was about to happen, you know, because there's no wildlife, there's no birds chirping, singing their song. Um, it was those moments. Um, yeah. When you were going back and compiling everything for the book, um, did you? Was there anything left to translate from Afrikaans at that moment, or you already? moved it all into English at that point. Yeah, that stage much was done in, in English and there was a few there was an Afrikaans and, and I thought I would have to rewrite, I have to change a few things, but the rest was just based on on the journal, based on on those moments. Yeah. Um you know, whilst writing it that I looked at um some photos and some music and inspired me that the sound sitting down writing, looking at some images, it it triggered memories that I totally, I just locked away. You know, for me, I just locked everything away. Memories, my that journal, my medals, locked away in the, in the bloody shoebox, you know. Um, I, at that stage, I had nothing up um, on the walls, no photos, no no plaques, no nothing. Everything locked away in a, in a, in a shoebox. But that specific, um, sorry, that, that journal with the medals, couple of photos it was locked away it was it was in a shoebox stored away and it was until when i uh, i came across the dead reckoning um they um there was a ad i think on social media asking for people to submit poetry or that that for me that's where my journey started with the, the, the writing and i thought i need to go back and and 
find that journal and and that's where it all started. So by the time you and Keith were sitting down to put the book together, yeah, really everything was done. There wasn't more to be written. There wasn't more to be translated. There wasn't more. I mean, how much more unpacking did you have to do to put all this together? Um, quite a fair bit. Really? Quite a fair bit. Yeah, yeah. For me, just looking back into it, just reflecting back, looking at reading the journal, there there wasn't much. There was maybe a a couple, maybe a few. There was an Afrikaans um, that I had to sort of translate. But but the rest was just basically reading the journal, sitting back and reflecting and thinking, and really spending time in that space. And other things started to just open the floodgates. Like I said, I would sit there and I would reflect back, look at some video footage, look at photos, mm-hmm. and then at the same time, having a drink there late at night, and then I would then play music in the background, and then just the floodgates just open, and then all these uh, memories would then flow back. And then I thought, okay, cool. And then I would then write about that, write about the sunset, write about the the sound of the mortars, of the impact, the and what it felt like to me. Because I know what what it felt like to me. I, I, I had no idea what it felt like to the other, you know, brothers I, that I had there. I could see it on their faces the fear, the excitement, the sensory overload. You know, the eyes big as dinner plates. But for me, it was it was essential to put it on paper. You know, the sound because I remember it. I, I, I can sit here and close my eyes, and I can. It, it takes me back, and when I talk about it, when I write about it. But when I don't, then I choose to not talk about it. I choose to just put it in a shoebox and just lock it away. Yeah, so there, there wasn't much to unpack here. So how many new poems did you write when once you and Keith said, okay, hey, you're going to do this. You're going to do the book. We're going to bring, you know, you obviously had a whole bunch of poems already written. How many new ones did you write that went into the book? Um, That's a few. Okay. There was a few. Yeah. At that stage, when I submitted the manuscript, that was it. Um, because it took me a while to actually get it on 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 paper. It wasn't just one week or couple of days where I could sit back. I would then sit at a, at a session, put it on paper, and then I would I would have to take a step back because for me it was just too much. You know, I would have to take a step back, close it, close the laptop, and then move on. And then at the same time, I would have to put on that, take off that cap, put on the other cap that says Dad, take that one off, put on the one cap that says you know work. And focus on that, you know. It was it was, it was just too much at that stage. Um, it was also that stage where then my son would come over to me, and then he he wanted his dad. But then I was so lost in in this work, lost in my thoughts, memories of shit that happened in two thousand and seven, that it broke me. Um, but yeah, at that stage, it, there was enough for the manuscript. But then once Keith and I started working through it, then he would then pick up on things that needed to change, maybe titles, maybe stanzas, picked up on a few poems that that wasn't really suitable, that didn't really go with the flow and, and with the theme of the book. Um, because at that stage, I, I had a stack of, of poems that I just sort of chucked in and a few that that we, we believe was good elsewhere and not for the book. <laughs> Now sitting back, um, so I want to I want to talk a lot about uh, you know how you view the book and how you view your experiences now that the book is out there. So obviously, as you said, there's more to write about Sangin, maybe in some other form, and obviously the war never leaves you. 
what do you feel is off your shoulders? What do you feel has been lifted? Do you feel lighter? Do you feel unburdened? Do you feel like something has been thoroughly examined and unpacked? Maybe not everything, but some things that you're like, I never have to write about that again. I got it. That captured everything I needed to say about that. And I'm good. Was there anything like that? Yeah, I would say the lids been taken off. There's still loads to unpack, but for me personally, the lids open, it's off. Um, it was that experience of, because I wanted to put something on paper, the the feeling of before, during, and after. So that theme is in the book, the before, during, after, where it felt like, you know, flying in at nighttime in a big Chinook helicopter, getting there the first night, the first couple of days. Um, and then after a while, during that time, you know, the sound, sensory overload, you know, the feeling, um, and then after the homecoming. And then sometime later having to deal with all of that you know having my kids and all that so that was the, the main arc the main feeling of it and there's still loads to unpack and i'll do it when i feel ready um i still want to write more i still want to get more paper whether it's in the form of novel uh, fiction non-fiction i'm not sure but that's there's, there's still more to unpack in the form of writing what's your battle rhythm right now with writing what are you are you writing a little bit every day just to keep the muscles warm or are you kind of plotting your next move and you don't want to really put pen to paper yet? Where are you at right now? Um, I do try to, to write some um, during the week, uh, but if I don't force myself behind the laptop or pen or paper, then I just lose it. Then I just get lazy with things and I don't do it. You know? But I, I would, I force myself to sit down and then write, but even if it's just on, on the phone or on the laptop. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's the, the room now, but um, I'm currently um, on a different project at this time and space. But yeah, if I if I can sit down, maybe in the morning, maybe at night, but then there's, there's moments where certain words will then trigger something. And then I would have to in that time and space put it on paper or, or pen or put it in my phone. So I might be taking the dog for a walk. I might be at the gym or somewhere and something would trigger a memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I need to put that in paper or there might be a word and then I quickly type out a sentence or write in a sentence and that I can use later because that triggers something. And, mm-hmm. and then I've got the desire that the burning desire just to, to write more, to put something on paper. But um, I force myself to um, write something a few times a week. But if I can give myself a good rhythm of putting pain, physical pain to paper, then it's a it's it's a better way of of getting thing um, getting things out. Um, I wanted to pick up on one thing that that uh, <laughs> I don't know, just to me it was funny in the context of reading the book because I was like, there seem to be moments where you're really capturing something. And there's other times where it looks like, oh, this was more of a planned poem where you're trying to fit a rhyme scheme in or what have you. How conscious were you of rhyme scheme, of format and all that when you were originally writing a lot of these? Was that something that was on the forefront of your mind? I mean, obviously, when you were first writing a lot of these, you didn't know anything about poetry. Was that even a consideration or was it um, or these all things that had to happen after the fact? 
It wasn't planned. A few, I would say, it was. I tried to force myself to have a structure, have you know, with a few stanzas. But then I felt I, I, I didn't feel natural. You know, it, it felt good by just sitting there and reflecting back and playing music, having a drink, and then it would just flow out, and I would just go freestyle. I would just put words, thoughts, feelings, put it on paper. And then there were other times where I tried. Okay, let's delve back in how it's done. And then I would look at Tugeko, let's let's change this stanza, let's let's make it rhyme. So I tried with, with that, but I felt more comfortable with just putting those thoughts on paper. Let just let the words do the talking. Yep. That yep. I felt better with. But then I, I thought I'll I'll try with making rhyme with changing um some of the um, the stanzas and, and the lines itself. But I just felt more comfortable with just putting the words on the paper and, um, and just uh, how I felt. Um, let's just talk about the book and the reception it's gotten and what you want for the book. I mean, obviously it's a book that I think a lot of veterans are going to relate to. Who do you want to read the book? Uh, that's a good question, man. Um, definitely veterans, people that, um, Basically anyone, you know, it's it's for anyone. Um, I would love for my son to one day read the book. For my daughters when they're old enough and they and they've got, you know, those those questions. They want to know more. Because my daughters at this stage, they they know that obviously I'd surf, but they've got no idea, man. It's they're just too young to explain things. So th- this is for them when I'm not here anymore. And they can read through us and, and, and they can see well, my words on here and they can read it and and and, and it, it will then tell a story you know about their dad years ago you know so it's, so it's for them and it's for for anyone they want to know more about singing know more about the, what the veterans um went through there's definitely a sense that this is though i think for you that's the sense that keep kept coming to me. It's for you. It's for your family. It seemed like it was such a personal piece. And I, the thought that kept coming to me was what a privilege you think about so many people that fought in wars going back to fucking Samaria and like nobody has, you know, any record of it. And the fact that so few veterans are able have ever been able to tell their stories. And to me, I was like, like I was happy for you reading this because I was going, fuck, he's capturing exactly where he's at in a way that no one else has to guess. And he's put the words down. He's taken the time to sort it out. And the people around him will know him through this book, regardless of what you ever say or don't say to them. That's a fucking great privilege, I, th- I feel like. And I feel like you did them a huge favor by doing that. And I think it's a perfect example of, of why veterans shouldn't just go down with their memories. You know, it's like the memories mean something and you, yeah. it's important to share it for those that are never going to see it or haven't seen it or whatever, because there's wisdom to impart. I feel through that. Do you feel like this is a, it's a interesting way of putting this. Let me, let me, let me, let me throw that back to you. Do you feel like this is a wise book? Do you feel like there's wisdom that's imparted in this book? Is there a little Kipling in here? Fuck, I hope so. Yeah. I don't know. It's I don't know. I don't know. 
it's it's for my kids it's for me i just it's something that i had to do it, yeah it was a path that i in the beginning i thought no nah, i don't want to go down that path because once it's it's done once it's out there it's out there um it was the the, the confidence levels dropped when i when i started to put paint to paper for me it was just oh this is just this mountains are just too big to climb there's just too much to unpack i'm just too afraid to unpack how the fuck do i deal with it what do i do i was very in the beginning very reluctant to unpack it mm. to put paint to paper and, and and deal with it i was very happy just to put it back into the box and stick in my lane and stick in and stay in my comfort zone but deep down you know, my gut instinct, you know, said, like, unpack it, deal with it, write it, put a pen to paper, you know, sit there and, and, and do it for you. But initially, I refuse. The first email that I wanted to submit to Dead Reckoning um, Collective for the anthology, it was for the second anthology mm -hmm. of Poet Warriors. I had the, the three poems good to go. The email was all set up and... I didn't click submit until a week later because I just couldn't. I thought, no, it's it's not me. I don't want to deal with it because I don't want it out there. I, I don't want to deal with it. I'm more than happy just to keep it locked away and not look at it and not deal with it. Um, but I did. I did click submit and then it was a relief. But then there was again the floodgates. I thought, well, hang on. If if I can do that, I can deal with the other things. I, and I can write more. And that's where it started. That's how it happened. Do you have any desire to write something not autobiographical? I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure. Again, it's, it's it's the confidence. It's the the confidence levels drop. I'm not sure. What about the interest level? Does the interest level drop, or, or no, are you interested? It's, it's, all yeah. it's just the it's confidence. all there. It's the confidence. It's do I really want to do that? What are the people going to say? What are they going to think? What's my mom going to say? What's my dad going to say? What will my sister say? My wife and my kids? You know, um, that went through my mind in, in the beginning and still does, you know, when, when I, I know the books out there and I, uh, I wonder, oh shit, what are they going to think? What are they going to say? Mm -hmm. um, do they really want to know what happened? Cause there was, I mean, my mom and my dad, they, they know a fraction of what I really went through. I think my dad, he knows now. He understands because he's been through it himself. So he knows. So there's that that the mutual understanding, that mutual respect. Mm -hmm. um, never mind the fucking damage that's been done. <laughs> but um, it's whether I want them to know. But it's it's out there. I, um, I, I had to do this. Um, have, have any of your old mates hit you up and said, "Holy shit, you wrote a book," or "Holy shit, you're writing poetry," or? Do you hear about it at all from peers that you went? Yeah, through there's a few. There's a few um, that I, I I told them, and then the word spread, and I would get a text back, and then there's a photo of them holding the book, and I thought, oh fuck, they actually physically they, they they purchased the book. People that I looked up to, people that I uh, respected, people that's um, that went on the tour with me, people that sat yeah. in the same big building when we got attacked. You know, maybe on certain on other up. Um, ends of the, of the building um people that went there during that time people that experienced it you know uh it's a great feeling 
um, the fact that they purchased the book and then they would send these nice messages. It's a great feeling. So really, when you worry about the response, it's more from people that are closer to you, family members yeah. and all that. Yeah. It's more so my mom, my dad, my wife, my sister, you know. Yeah. Because it's not something I would normally do. It's not something that I would normally pursue or, or, or go down. But I feel comfortable with this. I'm happy. I'm content. Uh, it's something I had to do, something I had to get out there, you know. But I'm, 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 I'm happy. I'm happy. Yeah, that's not nothing. I mean, that's, that's, that's significant. Um, before I ask about future projects, um, your poem, I miss, I referenced it before, but you talked about missing the warm days, missing the sanguine days, the lads, the good times, the banter the lads, the brothers, and I won't read the whole poem, but it's incredibly relatable. Do you still have those moments? Do you still miss it sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, it's it's the tribe, it's 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 the people. When I when I really think about it, it's it's the the blokes, the lads. It's that moment sitting together, going through it all together, because we've all been through it together, the training, the build up. You get there, sit there, and then experience the the fear together, and then the homecoming. You know, that's the moments of being together, going through that that bond, that close bond, you know. Um that's not there anymore that I miss because I'm so far, I'm living in New Zealand so far away from there, but um, it is what it is, man. Now, I mean, one thing that we've talked about in the past on the show and we haven't mentioned today is obviously, you know, after Sankin, it wasn't like you completely left uh, the war zones. I mean, you went back and you, you worked for, what was it, seven years as a contractor? How many years did you do as a contractor? No, um, it was seven years in, in the army, about two and a half, maybe three years as a contractor. Okay, yeah. okay two and a half, three years. And that was all in Iraq, right? Yeah, yeah. Baghdad, Basra. Mm-hmm. So, um, was there any, do you find that any of that inspires you or compels any need to keep writing? That's like, hey, this is Sangin, cool. But there was also other stuff, and not all of it was action packed. But there's other stuff, other experiences, other colors, other nuances that could be captured. Does any of that turn you on, or not so much? Not so much. It was more so the Sangin. It, it was it was more so the military days. Mm-hmm. Those those tours of going to Northern Ireland, going to Iraq, and then Afghan. The the moments after, not so much. And it was great being there, working there. It was it was phenomenal, but um, the impact wasn't so great. It was it, it wasn't a huge impact on the fact that I, I need to put pen to paper. For me, it was just pure business. It was, it was out mm-hmm. there doing a job, mm-hmm. uh, achieving the objective, and then moving on. It, but it was more so saying, and it's hard to explain. I don't know why, but it was more so saying that had that profound impact um, cool. on us. Well, it was your most kinetic experience, right? Yeah, it was. It was full on. I mean, the first, was it 19 or 20 days were just purely defending the compound, you know? Um, it was full on. And that's quite what, well, the quiet, it was in the quiet moments that I could sit down and put pen to paper, you know, fill in yeah. the, the journal, started with, I'm 
the caliber and you know that we've got to talk with and then it evolves into into something else you know and i'm so grateful i actually kept a, a, a journal then um yeah i i, I want to circle back to something we talked about before um what would you be like if you had never gone in the army yeah a quiet shy introvert hmm. Hmm. Uh, i don't know um probably not some probably a, a person that w- won't achieve much i don't know um a very quiet person a person that would just stick to his lane stick to his comfort zone not achieve much would you have been happy Oh, heck, I'm not happy now, am I? Um... <laughs> well, that's what I'm getting at. Because, and, and here's here's my ulterior motive in asking that is <laughs> I, I do feel like a lot of the times, sometimes in the veteran community, but especially outside the veteran community, there's a temptation to go, you poor guys, what you went through, blah, 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 blah. And that's all true. But also, if you make it through it, there is also um, a strength, a resilience, and a purpose. That sometimes you get that otherwise you wouldn't get and sometimes and i i use this word advisedly but the ennobling aspects of wartime service are sometimes brushed aside in lieu of the trauma narrative okay well you know how bad was it and oh my god no shit that's what you're going through i can't imagine and all that and i and and both things can be true it's not all of one or all of another but i i do wonder sometimes if um, I don't know. I mean, how do you feel? Do you feel like that that there was a? It seems like what you're saying is that there was a sense of purpose that came with all the trauma and that came with all the bad stuff. But there is also more than a silver lining that also occurred. Yeah, it was definitely a sense of purpose. It, it, it was something that I wanted, something that I, that I volunteered. That I I wanted to to follow and I wanted to to go and do you know it was done to my folks uh, that paved that path that that guided me you know and um, yeah. I think deep down my mom and my dad knew that I, that I would be walking down that path. Um, it didn't work out the way I wanted, but I got there in the end, and and I forced myself. Now I didn't really. It was nothing to force. It was it was going to happen. I knew. And I, that's what I wanted. It was destined for me. It was a, it was a sense of purpose. It, it was my duty to to follow that that dream um, down that path. You know, I just had to. I don't think we talked about this last time you're on the show. How did you feel with the withdrawal from Afghanistan? Did that hit you in any way? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It was it was a mixed emotions. All, all over the place um frustration anger um sadness anger helplessness it was a horrible feeling it was a, it was a horrible feeling the fact that sitting there watching tv seeing it all unfold um they get, they're getting closer and closer to 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 kabul and just the way it it ended the big spectacle the big event that unfolded it it was horrible the fact that you know and then it brought back memories of saying it again yeah what we went through and the fact that when my unit went back in 2009 i didn't go 
you know, on that particular tour, we've lost um, six or seven seven blokes um, on that particular tour. Never mind all the other, you know, deaths. And, um, and then you think, fuck, it was, it was for, for nothing. You know, the 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 area, Sangha that we fought for uh, was quickly regained. You know, once we withdraw um, from the area, once the, the Brits left and what, and once the, um, the American troops left, uh, the Taliban just you know took over. They 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 within I don't know days, maybe weeks. Um, it was you know it it was re- retaken. You know anger. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a horrible feeling. You know you think uh, it, it was it for nothing. You know, but then um, at that stage, I'd, at the moment, do you think no, it wasn't? You know, um, we will still remember. You know, we we had to achieve an objective. We had orders um, at the time. It was um, you, you think, well, I'm, I'm I'm doing the right thing, but yeah, it's it's a mixed yeah you know, mixed emotions thinking back. You know, but what can you do? Fuck, man. <laughs> this is gonna sound like a perverse way of, of taking this that topic but did it help your writing or did it hurt your writing did you feel more inspired to put stuff down on paper or did it you know, not that affect was, that that there? was the moment where nothing there was no inspiration whatsoever yeah. you know just felt morbid i fell down i thought this is not going to inspire anything this is not going to inspire me maybe inspire me to bloody drink but i'm <laughs> not putting yeah. to paper it's not going to move me it's not going to inspire me to write something brilliant you know um Definitely not. But what what inspire what inspires me or made me want to write more is just thinking back to what we've been through, thinking back to to that journey that that I walked. You know, reading other people's books. You know, that would inspire me. Me thinking back to what it felt like for me. Me wanting to put things on paper for my kids to read, um, or do something for me. That would inspire me. Looking back at a particular image that that I took on a particular day of friends that's no longer there that inspire me that inspire me to to put on something on on, on paper to to remind me to to remind us you know that heck i'm i'm, I'm here that inspire me but stuff like that nah no inspiration whatsoever none you know we talked about the wisdom of the book and if there is any and if that was an intended uh outcome of it what would you want your kids to take away when they read the book besides their knowledge of you um and what you went through and i say that because you know there's we're only one generation away from you know completely forgetting everything and not learning any lessons and besides your own emotional journey and your own maturation process i feel like any veteran has experiential wisdom that's important for people to know and important for their immediate family probably to know do you feel like any of that a is in the book or b is there stuff that you want them to take away from the book and go this is why x and i wrote all this therefore don't do blah 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 like is there anything like that that you kind of see as a takeaway from the book i think what they should take away this is your dad's story this is what he what he's been through. This is um, the things that he's been hiding for for so many years, the things that he he doesn't really talk about or mention. You know, 
I don't talk about this to my to my wife, my my dear wife, you know. And um, she's seen some of the book. She went through it. Um, that was uh, that that was hard, you know, for her to actually sit there with the book, holding the book, mm. holding it in the hands, and then reading mm. it. I thought, that's my wife, you know. That's she's she's going through that book. She's reading things that I don't really talk about at all with her. That was a, a different. At that stage, I haven't even met her yet, you know. Um, I was a single lad going through all of that. Um, yeah, so I just w- want them to take away, this is this is your dad. This It was, it was a different character. It was a different person. Same name, yeah. maybe younger looking face, but that was him, you know. Um, it's it's for you. It's for them to, um, to read and take away what you want to take away, you know. Take from it what you need. What you don't need, discard, leave it, but then use it in a way that's going to help you down the road. You know, have something on paper, you know, because my dad, he's been through a lot. My mom's been through a lot. Nothing's really on paper, you know. Yeah. There's no yeah. stories. There's, there's nothing for me to take away. Um, so this is basically for them. Take away what you need. Take away what you desire, you know. Um, but it's it's your dad's story, you know. It's what I've been through. It was a wonderful wild ride. And this is what it felt like, you know, it's set in stone now. It's for you to read and for your kids to read. I'll be long gone, you know, but then they can take away what they need from, from this. They can look into it and they know that, you know, that's their, their dad that's been through it. So take what you need. I would say. Do you feel there's, I mean, this is a completely random thought, but do you feel like there's any value in actually, trying to get your dad's story on paper, even just for yourself and say, Hey, I, I, I think it's important that the family have something on paper. I would say yes, but you can't force it. You know, I would say, yeah. yes, I would like to have something on paper from my dad, something on paper from my mom, you know, her story, mm. but it felt like for her when he went to the border and she was alone by herself and she was alone with just the two of us. Because she was then forced to, to work, raise you know a, a young son, um, having you know those two stories, being on the border, no man's land, you know fighting on the soft white sand, you know and and away there, you know having that story and and also have the story of my mum, what it felt like for her, you know that side of it of of the fence, you know I would love to, but you can't force these things, you can't right. force something that you know, might not happen or people don't want um, on, on, on paper. But if I had the choice, I would, I would like for, for something to be, on, um, to be on paper. It would be great. Um, but you can't force it. But I know for me, I've got, I've got my, mm-hmm. uh, my story on paper, which is, is, is good. Yeah. This is going to be kind of a weird question, but it, it just strikes me. You know, you talk and we've talked before. On the show about Ovamba Land, and is that how I say it? Ovamba Land is that is that the Ovamba right Land? Yeah, Ovamba Land. Yeah. Um, and uh, obviously, to an American, that sounds very exotic. Um, but even to you, it seems like there was mystery and an enigma to it, and a fascination with it. Yeah. Is there any sense that, especially now that we're out of Afghanistan, you fought in Afghanistan, you fought in the most arguably the most fascinating country on the planet with the most scar tissue 
from wars going back to you know before Alexander the Great, you fought there. Um, and not, and that's, I mean, if you talk about exotic places to have a war, that's kind of up there. I mean, I know we did it for 20 years, so it feels like it's just kind of obvious, but, um, is there any sense that, uh, that the exoticism of it is worth, it's worth you telling your story because not everyone will know what that's like. And it's, and not everyone will be able to appreciate the exotic nature of where you were because it wasn't just Afghanistan. It was specifically Sangin. It was specifically uh, a, a very, a very specific part of Afghanistan. I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of, I, I, the thought just crossed my mind. So I'm just kind of throwing out a bag of ideas to you, but right. is there something about the, you weren't fighting the Nazis in, you know, Belgium or anything, you know, you weren't fighting something where, Hey, we can go visit there. Now you're visiting, you're, you fought in a place that you can't just go back and visit. You can't just fly into, your kids might never be able to go there and take pictures and go, oh my God, this is where my dad fought. Like, And so to be able to capture something like that is, I don't know, it seems to me there's there's a real um, attraction and necessity to capture stories when there might not be another time or place that that could ever be captured. Does that kind of make sense? Mm, yeah. I mean, if I could, uh, um, I, w- I would love to go back, you know, but... Um... I don't think that's going to be that's going to happen in, in my lifetime. You know, yeah. I'd be able to, to to capture that on paper as um, as probably um, a better option. Yeah. Is can you go to Avamba Land? Where, what's that like now? Yeah, you can. Yeah. So um, there's many veterans that they've they've gone back since, and they, they've uh, been they've we've organized these tours, overland tours, because wow. in order to get there, you need a big um, off road vehicle. You know, so I would love to um, if I had the money, and I would take my dad and go with him. You know, so you, you can. It's 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 bizarre the fact that you can do that now. You can organize these tours, overland tours, and go there and take photos. And you've got these wrecks, these these APC vehicles, tanks, bunkers. You can go back and take photos. Whether I think it's a good idea to actually take him, I can. Who knows? Yeah, right. Love to. Um, maybe more so for for me because um, <clears throat> I've read these stories, I've seen the photos, and there's this certain um magical sense about it you know this um that i would like to experience would like to go see more so for myself i think i'm not sure if he wants to go back but you um you can you can actually physically go back there and explore those those areas the fact that you can now but then many years ago it was a bloody war zone it's it's bizarre too uh, it's insane i know that's why when you see the tours of vietnam and people go back you're like really wow jesus you know who knew um I, I don't want to let you go without talking about your wife um, and what she meant. Cause you do, you do have poems about her. Yeah. And I, I mean, you're very, uh, and you know, it's one of those things that struck me. You don't get your angel unless you need an angel. Mm. And I feel like, you know, that that's anyway, I think you capture that well. And there is a sense that, um, I guess one of the things I realize I keep coming back to when I'm asking you these questions is hinting at the nobility of your service and that's taking away the politics of it, um, for the moment, but mostly focusing on 
I feel like young men need a challenge and it doesn't always need to be war. Let me stipulate. Hmm. But if they are driven to that, the pain, the agony and all that, um, it does, it can lead. In fact, it might even be vital to lead a richer life. And I was thinking that with, you know, if 95% of your pain or pleasure comes from your life partner, um, that's pretty fucking good to have someone that you, you know, love so much that you revere so much. That's been such a support to you. And I feel like you don't get that unless you need it. And that that is, um, but I don't know. I'm not, again, I'm, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but those are some of the thoughts that just kind of came to me while I was reading. Um, accurate, not accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally spot on. You know, it's, it's been a, an amazing experience having someone there during the time that you felt like just giving up, you know, she was the one that I could just look at. And then I would then feel, I feel, I would feel better, you know, just her presence in the house, you know, um, wouldn't help me and guide me and talking to me. I would, would have a horrible moment or, or day. And then, with her being there and just putting out of my shoulder and says, it's, it's going to be okay. It's okay. And her, the way, you know, that, that she would thank God and help not in a, in, in a certain way. How can I explain this? Um, her presence, just being there, being my rock, you know, and then knowing it's going to be okay with her there. What does she do for your writing? Is she a muse? In any way, or is it just the support and knowing that she's there and therefore you're freed up to write what you need to write? It's the support. It's knowing that she's there and knowing that I can rely on her. It's it's the support. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a story with her? Like there's something that she makes you want to write that you go, because of you, I need to say X. Yeah. Yeah, it's because of her that I can say I'm I'm here. It's because of her that I can I can be thankful that 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 writing. Yeah, it's it's because of her that a lot of the stuff I could put on 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 paper. It's because of her that I could say thank you for 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 being there. At times she would have no clue. She would have no clue that I've been through a certain experience, put it on paper, and then she would just look at me and and I'll be at the at the table, and I've got all these pieces, like puzzle pieces, and then I think, well, how can I fit these things? And I've got all these thoughts and feelings, this anger, emotion, death, and and fear, and it's all on paper. It's all a mess, and I need to arrange it, and and and, and I've, I've released it, and then I just feel lost and. I just feel overwhelmed, sensory overload, and then she'll be standing there, and she she got no clue, she can't read my mind, and um, I would just feel safe. I would just feel mm. like I'm saved, that it's going to be okay. She doesn't have to say anything. She's got no clue. Again, a lot of stuff that I've been through, that I'm going through, she's got no clue. Many things I don't tell her. You know, um, I would have days where I felt like just fucking giving up. I just feel like just drinking myself into a oblivion. And then with her being at home talking about her day, I would feel better. 
And I would feel inspired to go and write. I would, I would feel like, okay, it's going to be okay. You fine, you know. You don't have to go in and do silly things. It's it will be fine. It's okay. And then she helps. She inspires. And she's but she's got no clue. She doesn't know. Mm. She's not wiser. She's got no fucking clue. But then I would feel like, okay, it's going to be okay. She's she saved me so many times, you know, and she's got no clue. She doesn't know. I would sit there. I just feel like giving up. I feel like, oh, fuck, this is not going to work. I've got all these words on paper, all these thoughts and feelings and emotions and everything going on. And then just looking up at her and then she would just walk in past and it would just smile and, you know, getting dinner ready or I would be cooking dinner and just looking at her. And there's this, this connection, this massive connection. And I think, oh, fuck, actually, it's going to be okay. You know, tomorrow's another day. You just take one step at a time, you know. But again, she's got no clue. She doesn't know. <laughs> she doesn't know. You said before, you're, oh, I know we were joking, but you're like, hey, I'm not happy now. Um, <laughs> are, are you happy, though, um, with the book being out? Has this, do you notice a difference um, in you before the book came out and after the book's come out? Yes, I, w- I was more grumpy. <laughs> um, I was I was unsure. I was afraid. I, I mixed up of, of emotions, but I was I was happy the fact that it's it's out there. That's what I wanted, and I worked hard for it. And it's on paper, and with the help of Keith and Tyler, it's it's there. Um, I'm totally happy with it. I'm at ease. But the fact that it's out there, it's on paper. It's it's for for those to read. It's for my for my kids. It's for my family. They can read yeah. that. It's for them. It's for me. I can close that chapter somewhat. We should definitely. Um, I again, I want to let you go, but I want to. I, I do want to talk briefly just about um, what Keith and Tyler did for you. What was the editing process like for the book? What was the feedback like? What was the pro- what, how did you get from flash to bang with this book? Last bang. It was working with Keith predominantly with the editing process. It was it was a great experience. You know, it it opened my eyes to what, what needs to be done before you can actually you know mm. put on, put it on in a physical book. You know, the fact that we we work together, um, even though remotely. You know, I'm in New Zealand. Mm. He's in in the states, and um, so he would send something through on a Google Doc, and then have all these um notes on the side let's let's change this let's take it this title and come up with a new title you know let's take away these you know um couple of poems that it, it doesn't really go with the flow with the theme of the book and he would see the bigger picture when i look at it i would just see the one particular poem and a few lines and all my thoughts and experiences and everything will be in that particular poem but then he would see the bigger picture he would then take back have the eagle's view of the whole arc, the whole story, the way it flows. I knew exactly what I wanted to name the book and from day one. <clears throat> and I knew I wanted to tell a story of um, there, there should be um, a before, during, and after. But I wasn't sure how I would then fit these these poems. And then he, he would then he would come in and he would say, "All right, Nev, let's do this." He had a clear a clear vision um, of what needed to be to be done. Um, especially with some of the the poems, I think there was one or two about Steve, uh, my wife, that he thought, no, nah, it doesn't really go with the book. It's it's a good poem, but not for book, not mm. not for you know 
for um, about singing. Um, that definitely helped, and and that, there was a few that he thought, okay, let's just scrape this. Um, I think it's four or five stanzas on a particular poem that he thought, okay, let's just rewrite that because it doesn't go. There's there's something oh. not quite. Right. And working with that, having someone there to guide you and help you, because I had no clue. Right. I had no clue. The first time I submitted the manuscript, I had to actually go and Google the word manuscript. You know, <laughs> what the hell does it mean? Is it a script for, for a playwright? Is it what the fuck is it? You know, so I had to go and, and Google it and find, okay, what's the best yeah. way? Because when you submit something that's a manuscript, it's got to be the whole thing, you know, and, <laughs> and it has to fit their criteria, you know. And I thought, initially I thought, oh, fuck, I'm not, it's too hard. I'll just put that in, in the too hard basket. <laughs> for a while and just leave it you know yeah yeah but i didn't and then i had the whole thing there and then again it took me a while just to click something just that click just you know send it took me a while it was there sitting in my inbox for a while i thought no i can't do that i just did but then they would see they've seen something in me that i refuse to see in myself you know they they've seen something because they won't just take on any person. They won't take on any man and his dog and say, "I will accept your manuscript." They they knew they will, they they know exactly what they want, what's going to fit, what's going to flow. And and when I received the actual letter from them, it was an actual letter. I thought, "Fuck!" And I, I thought, "I'm going to frame that pastor. I'm going to frame mm-hmm. the letter <laughs> right there on my bookcase. I'm going to frame it." That they've accepted that, you know. And okay, it's, now I've got to bring my A game. I've I've got to work hard um, for this. And with having Keith there guiding me, that was great. You know, they believed in me, and it looked so easy for him. You know, and he would call me out the blue. Okay, cool. Let's change this. Let's do this. And I had an idea of putting images in, but then as the 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 the, pro, the project evolved, evolved into something else where it was. Uh, we had images, but it was then utilized more like a like a chapter break, like a page break, you know, which mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. was great. And the fact that Tyler came up with that, you know, and he helped with with the front, you know, with a um, front cover and, and the rear um, design. And it's a great design, yeah. That's yeah, beautiful. I like, that. yeah. Very also, yeah. with the front one, with with the image itself. I'm not sure if you can see uh, mm-hmm. when you look at your copy. That image I took. Um, when we um, could eventually, when we left the compound, it was after the 20 days, um, the uh, summer, we flushed and pushed the Taliban out. We could then do foot patrols and carry on with the mission because there was a massive op that, that took place. And we had the, I think it was the 82nd Airborne Division that came in, Royal Marines came in, and then we had this big flush go from compound to compound, flush it out. And it was that particular moment. Again, looking back, I thought, man, I should have taken more photos. I should have taken more images. But, your infantry, you can't just stop and then take out your camera. Because I had this big old bulky camera. We had no cell phones then. Um, but for some reason, walking down that road, I took it out and I took a photo. But in that particular image uh, of the two lads that's that's on there, um, unfortunately, on the second tour, um, they got, you know, um, they they got killed. So for me, it means a lot. Personally, it means a lot that the image there of two people that I've I've, I've known very well, especially one of them um, is Susu. We we used to play rugby together, and um, it broke me when I when I heard in two thousand nine that he got killed in Afghan. You know, that was on his second tour. 
and the fact that I've captured them, I've got two lads in that photo, then they're not here anymore, you know. Uh, um, so for me, it means a lot, the fact that it, it, Tyler used that image in a way that yeah. many, maybe after this, people will, will know, but looking at the, the image, he has a great image, but for me, it means so much more. Of course. So, that's so the much two, That's the two guys there on, in the N. Yes, if you look at the end, and yeah, in the first end, in the oh, second, the first end and the second end, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. one of them is it's got his back facing to us, you know. That's that's um, that's Val, and his second end, that's that's Susu, uh, facing the the, the, the camera. Yeah. It was just we were yeah. patrolling. I just took the camera out. I took a snapshot yeah. because in the in the photo itself, in the distance, there's a vehicle, a uh, burned out vehicle. That's the mm-hmm. vehicle that he Val used. Um, what he used, I think, fifty cal. We had Taliban in the vehicle driving up and from the, um, the watchtower or the building, the carnival wall, he, sh- he shot the vehicle up and he stopped the Taliban from, from coming through and the vehicle burned down. And yeah, so, so there's a, a whole sort of backstory to the image and, and, and everything else. But yeah, having Tyler um, use the image and just in, in the way they use it and, and yeah, it's brilliant. I love it's a great it. design. It's a great design. No, it's right, a yeah. beautiful looking book. As a writer, do you feel like you're better for having gone through the editing process or was it just a process? Or did it actually oh, make, um, open your eyes to technique and other things? It opened my eyes to so much more to the fact mm-hmm. that it takes time. You need to go and work at your craft. You need to go and study. You need to, if you want to be good at it, if you want to be good at getting things on paper in print, whether it be a, a novel, um, fiction, nonfiction, memoir, you, you got to work. You got to sit down and work. Um, you have to work with the editor, and and you have to listen. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be un- uncomfortable. Um, but the truth is, you know, there were times that I thought, "Oh shit, Keith, how can you? How can you? I, ne- I never said anything to him, but I could say like, oh, fuck, you know, do you want me to do what? Rename? Do this? Do that? Oh, come on, man!" Oh. And then I thought, "No, no, he knows, because yeah, they Keith, he knows a thing or two because he's seeing a thing, a thing or two, mm-hmm. and you know." Is the pro when it comes to that. It, it opened up my eyes to if you want to make this work, you've got to write. You've got to practice. That's the only way to be good at that, you know. Um, and you can't just stop at one particular book and think, oh, I'm 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 the best thing since sliced bread. I'm right. the beast knees. I've got to book out. No, um, you've got to work. I've got to work. I, I had to work at it, you know. Um definitely you- open up my eyes, yeah. Sorry, what do you feel you need to work on now? What what thing are you like? Hey, I got to sharpen that up. I'd like to get better at that. I got everything, man. Just got to mm-hmm. practice. Got to look into uh, everything. Um, depends what what it is. Depends if I, if I want to go back and continue with with poetry. If I want to do a novel, um, fiction, nonfiction. The way if if it's a say non uh, nonfiction into looking into how do I get the character on paper. How do I talk about the character? How do I describe the character? You know, the storyline, all, all those things, you know, that you need to work on. It just, in, in order to be great at it, I know that I need to spend hours. I need to write every day. I need to put pen to paper every day. That's Are, that's are you it. now? Are you putting pen to paper every day? No, that's the thing is yeah. a few times during a week, I would then put things quickly on my phone, put it on the, on the laptop for, if I want to use it later, I've got loads. There's loads of, of, of pieces that never made it into the book that I never submitted to Keith or Tyler um, that I want to use someday. I definitely w- would like to 
use it again, but then incorporate that with images. So the image will then go with the the poem or just have images in the, in the first half and then the second half. But then do I really want to go back into, um, into singing again and having poems? Maybe this is it. Maybe I won't be writing more, more poetry about um, a singing. I don't know. Um, but I, I would have to put pen to paper every day, you know, yeah. and, and when I do, it helps. Definitely. It, it helps with the craft, but I, I can see that if I don't do it every day, it's then I start to lose it, you know? Yep. A hundred percent. Yeah. You something that I need to work more. on. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, Nev, tell everybody where they need to follow you, um, where they need, um, Obviously, you get sang in anywhere, but if you want to tell them specifically how to get it on Dead Reckoning, um, yeah, just tell them everything they should know. Find me on social media on Instagram or Facebook. Um, if you could maybe just chuck the links in there and you'll, what, what oh, it, just comes in. It'll be in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes yeah. for sure. And yeah. Instagram, I'm, I'm very um, active on there um, on Facebook. Uh, Dead Reckoning Collective would be the, uh, the people to getting in contact with for, for the book, um, Amazon, um, any good place you can, you can get a good book these days. Uh, it's great to see you brother. Really. Congratulations, man. I'm really happy for you. It's a great Thank piece you, of work and I'm Thanks thrilled that you got this out there. Um, and now I want to see what else is coming down the pike. So watch the yeah, space. Be very interesting. Yeah. Watch the space. I'm really interested to see what comes next. Um, it's great to see you brother. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the friendship. I do appreciate that, man. It means a lot, even though it's it's on 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 a virtual on Zoom. Um I do appreciate that tremendously. So yeah, thank you for for your time. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for um giving me this this space to discuss and talk and and open up. That was Neville Johnson's profile in Havoc. Always great to talk to Nev. I always feel like um, it's a treat because he is so far away and he's talking to me from, you know, we're afraid about the same time zone. We're not even on the same day in the calendar when we talk. And uh, so to be able to get him to adjust his sleep patterns or mess with his pattern of life in order to take the call and, and do an interview is always a treat. And um, such an interesting guy. I will make one comment that I probably should tell Nev to his face. I can't remember if I have in one way or another. Um, when I'm talking to him and obviously we're looking at each other on zoom, we don't do video, uh, for this podcast cause it's all we can do just to get the audio out. Right. Um, but at some point it, we probably will. Um, but it is interesting when I talk to Nev and, and, um, you know, to the best I can tell being that we're on zoom, I always feel that he's holding back. I always feel like there's still that reticence. He's still holding on to things. He still wants to be close hold on some information, some stories, some depth, which is understandable. Um, we all have that. And I think especially when there's, you know, when you're really having to do forensics on your own thoughts, your own actions, your own history, um, there's always going to be that natural reticence and caution. I look forward to when those shields come down and they don't need to come down for my money autobiographically. Um, it doesn't really matter to me what Nev will ever say 
or what he and I talk about as much. But I look forward to when they come down um, artistically. And I say, I look forward to his next work and seeing what more can be mined. Um, because I, you know, I very much get the sense with him that we are just starting to break through the topsoil. You know, and I love, I'm, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen um, as things unspool and he unpacks more and more and more. And um, in some ways, I almost hope he does it fictionally um, because I feel like that could free him up uh, to tell more. And it's not really that important whether or not we as an audience know what he's thinking or what he experienced, but it is important for us to imbibe the experiential wisdom, the experiences that he had. Um, and we don't need to know which parts are real, which parts are fictional. And I think um, fiction could be a great tool for that. So I'd be interested to see, I'm interested to see where he goes from here. Um, but such an interesting dude with such an interesting life. And it is not over by a long shot. So by Sangin, if you haven't already. Um, Sangin, then and now, published by Dead Reckoning Collective. Okay, on that note, let me shift into shameless plug mode. A lot going on at Veterans Repertory Theater. We have announced our parlor season. So if you're in the greater Cornwall, New York area, anytime between April 1st and December 10th, 11th, 9th, I can't remember, um, stop by. On the Saturday night, our parlor shows are up. We have seven phenomenal shows that we will be doing this year. Each show goes for about four consecutive Saturdays, so basically a month of Saturdays for each show, and that's our stage readings. We have a really cool um, thing coming up that I can't talk about yet, so I'm going to hold on that. But the biggest thing I want to offer to you all is if you're in the greater Washington, D.C. area on or about April 13th, do yourself a favor. Come see Savage Wonderground. Three Strangers, our latest Savage Wonderground show that we have put together again at Old Town Alexandria's beautiful Principal Gallery right on King Street. It's a gorgeous space. It's an inspirational space. It actually has some depth and resonance for our performers as well. Um, our performers for this one, again, local D.C., Virginia-based um, veteran artists. We have Chris Battles, the artist in residence of the United States Marine Corps, which is fucking huge. I'm so excited that Chris is going to be a part of this. Um, he's been on the show before, so if you don't remember, go back and listen to the Chris Battles interview. It's a really interesting interview. Um, of course, Charles McCaffrey, who was on last week, will be there, a Navy veteran, storyteller, and a major pillar of the Three Strangers show. Um, our managing producer, Dex, of course, will have a large role in this uh, as a former Marine MP. And um, Logan Vath, Navy veteran and a phenomenally talented singer-songwriter. And let me tell you, I do not go for singer-songwriters. I'm not like a big John Mayer, uh, what's that fucking guy, Mraz, uh, Mraz, what the, what the fuck is his name? Steve Mraz, John Mraz, God damn, I'm going to kick myself after. Anyway, that guy, I'm not, like, I don't dig that stuff. I don't dig the singer-songwriter, like, cooing into a microphone stuff. That's not really the music that, that gets to me very often. But fucking Logan's EP that I listened to, uh, uh, Lost on Leaving, fuck, incredible songs. Like, just 
phenomenal. And Logan's the one traveling the furthest distance coming up from the uh, Chesapeake, uh, Norfolk area. And um, I'm super excited. We wanted to get him for the festival last year. Um, I'm super excited he's able to come up and do Wonderground. So four phenomenal artists telling a narrative about three strangers, a thief, a warrior, and a lover. And that will be played out in the many rooms of the Principal Gallery in Old Town Alexandria on April 13th. Do yourself a favor. Come see it. Um, tickets are 20 bucks. We split the proceeds with our veteran artists. Um, and uh, it's really going to be a fun night. We have a grazing table. We have some drinks for you. Um, it's a very short show. It's just one hour. But it's um, we pack a lot into it. And it's really cool. Um, moving little comedy, a little drama, a little trauma, um, a lot of feeling, and um, just a very cool narrative that I think is going to, um, yeah, I, I just can't wait for you all to see it. So get your tickets. Um, now, you can get them most easily by just going to savagewonder.com. That's savagewonder.com, savagewonder.com. When you go there, you'll see the big red button saying, buy tickets to Savage Wonderground Three Strangers. Click on that. It takes you right through it. Um, super easy. We deeply appreciate it. We'd love to see you all there. Um, it's a small space, so we're not putting out that many tickets. So uh, it's a great, relatively cheap and easy date night, um, but just a very, very cool night with some really, really talented veteran artists. And we had such a great time last time we were in D.C. We would love uh, to have another great night there with you all. Um, so very much looking forward to that. April 13th. Get your tickets at savagewonder.com. For everything else going on, go to vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org, and you can hear about all the lines of effort we have going on. But obviously for our Savage Wonder events, we like to just make it easy and have you go to savagewonder.com where the entire site is dedicated to our work with veterans in artistic media besides theater. Okay, without, well, I guess I always have more stuff to plug, but without plugging it for the time being and letting you all go at that. Um, I need to thank our producer, Mike Neal, as always, for putting this episode out. All right. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. On behalf of Neville Johnson, thanks a million for joining us. And we'll see you next time for another Profile in Havoc. <laughs>